Welcome to the Impact of Educational Leadership Podcast with ID3 for Isaiah Drone III. This show was designed to provide an exclusive forum on educational achievement gaps related to learner success while discovering relationships and family issues in a diverse setting. You have joined us for another impactful night of the Impact of Educational Leadership. This is episode 48. I'm your host, ID3 for Isaiah Drone III. Tonight's talents are Hector Flores and Del Bryant. Tonight's topic is education, not deportation. Ladies and gentlemen, please say hello to the people. Hello. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, like I said, tonight's topic is education, not deportation. Education and not deportation is about empowering people to develop their leadership through organizing skills and to fight for justice and dignity for immigrants and all people to achieve this accomplishment immigrant youth-led campaigns must be administered at the local state and federal levels because all students should be able to access an education without fear of detention and deportation leaders in the community are doing their part in continuing this mobilization through community meetings and demonstrations to make all schools safe for non-status students however the board has been slow to follow through on a lot of policies leaving non-status students at risk of being targeted in their schools. Tonight, first I want to go with our parents, Delta Bryan. Ms. Delta Bryan, how are you doing this evening? And you. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, let me tell you a little bit about Ms. Delta Bryan, activist, educational advocate, Delta Bryan, now in her 40th year in teaching and educational consulting as an executive member of NEA Dallas for educators and paraprofessionals in the United States of America and chairs for the Political Action Committee, PAC for short, former vice president for NEA Dallas Teachers Affairs. She served on two committees for Delta Kappa Gamma International Scholarships Committee for Eula Lee Carter and on the oversight for human resources committee bachelor's degree from anderson college anderson indiana master's from university of southern mississippi hattiesburg mississippi and a master's of arts in teaching from the university of granada granada spain she has become the who's who among american master teachers Della, my question for you this evening is, what is your experience as an educator, as an organizer, as an advocate to encourage students to engage in critical thinking about the world and how they will use their skills to tap into and transform the world through social movements. As experienced educator, first of all, 
I encourage my students to see the world as it is globally. We need to understand what is going on in every part of our hemisphere. My students, the first thing they get most of the times, we have virtual newspapers. They get a copy of this and I need to hear from them weekly on something impactful, something current event that is going on around the world. We might have something that we will be involved in here in Dallas. I remember when we had an earthquake or when we have a mudslide or anything in any Latin American country, we might go to that embassy here in Dallas to take clothing or help pack boxes or do something. I want my students to know what is going on in every corner of Latin America, starting with Mexico and going down to the tip of South America. I encourage them also because all teaching is not done in the four walls of a classroom. I have to get sometimes permission. I am always keeping the pulse of who might be visiting Dallas. And I take them to see these activists. My students have seen Dolores Huerta when she was here. My students have seen Vicente Fox when he was here at SMU. My students have seen Sandra Cisneros when she was here at Barnes and Noble. And it gives them a sense of pride when they have discussed these people and problems going on in these respective countries or in society as a whole to join in person, to be able to ask questions to these people. So I involved my students to think outside the box. They go prepared to ask questions based on what they have lived, based on what they have seen. Sometimes all I have to do is serve as a facilitator because my students are coming from the actual countries. My students might be coming from El Salvador, where they know all about the problems of the gangs there. Or they might be coming from Honduras. They might be coming from Colombia. So with those, when we have to think critically, all I have to do is guide the conversation in the class because they are bringing a wealth of information that I encourage them at all times to share with their classmates. High school students, eighth graders that I had this past year can think and they have a wealth of information that they are more than happy to share.
Most of them have been in schools in their respective countries, and they can share things with us. Thank you. No, we thank you as always. There was a lot of guidance in what you just told us and what you just gave the listening audience that gave me a sense of purpose. When you talked about these incentives that is used to help develop our children and our families and our neighborhoods and our schools, that's the type of accountability that leaders have in education. Those are the type of characteristics we need in organizations. That sense of commitment is and should be mandatory if we're going to develop, especially our economically disadvantaged adolescents or our inner city kids, however you want to call it, however you want to name it. I like the way you talked about getting information to them virtually through the virtual newspapers, giving them and finding ways to give them a sense of pride. You are an overseer because not only do you oversee them where they're going, but you provide a support system. This is the call of action that we need. This is why we have invited Mr. Hector Flores onto this panel discussion as well. And I think the both of you are the perfect combination for this discussion. And with that being said, Mr. Hector Flores, how are we doing this evening, sir? Very, very good, my man. How are you? Wonderful, wonderful. Again, we are so privileged to have you here. Uh, with that being said, let me tell you a little bit about Mr. Flores. Mr. Flores was Director of Recruitment and Retention for Dallas Independent School District. Mr. Flores served as an Equal Opportunity Specialist for the Office of Civil Rights within the Department of Health, Education, and Welfare from 1973 through 1983. Mr. Flores served the United States Department of Justice as a constellation specialist where he dealt with allegations of police brutality, minority recruitment, and issues with the potential to provoke civil disturbances. Mr. Flores also served as a police officer for the San Antonio Police Department from 1965 through 1972. He's a member of the League of United Latin American Citizens for over, I believe, three decades. Mr. Flores has served in many LULAC leadership positions, including the National Treasurer as Vice President for the Southwest, Deputy Texas State Director, District Director of North Texas, District 3, also as the president, vice president, and secretary for councils 100 and district 272. District, Mr. Flores serves as the national chair of the LULAC National Educational Services Center. We can go on and on about the many accolades that Mr. Flores has, has achieved with his numerous awards and honors for his continued service to LULAC. Mr. Flores, what do or what does 
LULAC councils do? Well, if we're, exactly. we're like uh, we're like sister a sister organization to NAACP. We actually mirror each other very well. We advocate for Latinos and other minority groups. Uh, our membership is composed of a lot of Hispanics, but we also have uh, Anglos and African Americans. And in fact, in the state of Texas, we actually have an agreement with NAACP to help each other on the different issues that impact our respective communities. And in fact, in a lot of small cities or small places where there may not be an NAACP chapter, we actually have uh, African Americans that join our group and other people that join our, uh, we have like about 250 chapters in the state that we're the strongest here. But we're like in 40 states, including Puerto Rico. So, you know, uh, it's basically uh, a civil rights organization and one that I'm very proud to have been a member of more than 40 years. Since I got to Dallas, Texas, 40 some odd years ago, somebody took me to a meeting and I was, I was very impressed with the fact that they did scholarship uh, they developed a scholarship fund and they did these activities to help kids that were very deserving of going to college, but the parents couldn't afford it. Not only that, it was mentioned uh, earlier by my colleague about how you need to point these kids in the right direction. And obviously, the power of an education is one that, that, uh, that is so important, particularly uh, with the global economy. Uh, but uh, it, it turned me on to see some of the things uh, that they did it's a volunteer organization, so everybody gives of their time and expertise. But I wanted to go back with my own life uh, because I think uh, it's what the power of an education can do for you. I come from a little town of 2,500, uh, close to Laredo, Texas, between San Antonio and Laredo. My mom died when I was one year and three months old. My dad didn't know what to do, so he joined the service right after Pearl Harbor, and he and, and my uncle and his best friend, and joined the service and he stayed there. So I was raised by grandparents who were migrant workers. So I used to come to Dallas, Texas in the back of the truck where my grandparents would go uh, to Indiana and to Michigan. Ultimately, we wound up in Chicago. We went to West Texas where they would pick cotton. So good part about it is I love school. So I went to school in all those places, if you can imagine. So my teachers, my teachers saw things in me that I didn't see in myself. And I had some teachers to actually come to me and tell me and my grandparents that I had the capacity to go to college. Of course, you know, in our community and our culture, the priest is number one, or the pastor, and then the teacher, and your relatives. But we pay attention to those people who guide us. And uh, I'm always uh, uh, very supportive of, of teachers and administrators and others because I know the value uh, that they lend to our community, our respective communities, uh, when they educate uh, the children to the best of their abilities. You know, I uh, never thought, uh, when I was, uh, looking for a job uh, in San Antonio as I was working. I worked my way to college. It took me nine years to get my degree. I ultimately graduated from St. Mary's University. But you know, I, I needed a job to eat and pay for uh, the private school that I went to. So somebody came to a job where I was working and it was the police department. So, you know, they tested everybody and I was one of the lucky ones that was able to meet all the, not only the testing, but the training and other things to get in. And about uh, out of 40 some odd that made it to the finals, maybe about six of us were able to join the academy. That gave me a, an opportunity to educate myself. And from there on, I uh, was recruited by the Department of Justice where I did a lot of mediation work. In fact, to this day, uh, I am uh, I, I reminisce from time to time. And I uh, 
remember that Helena, Arkansas, and uh, Helena and West Helena, I think, is the city that's right there on the Mississippi River, the Mississippi Delta. And I was sent there because the African-American community had a lot of issues at hand on the way they were being treated uh, uh, by the, not only the board, but also the administration. So consequently, even though they were, they were in federal court with a lawsuit, they took all the kids out of, out of school. And so my job was to see what we could do to mediate that situation. I'm happy to report to you that we were able, some of the demands that they had when I did the mediation were that they wanted an African-American superintendent and they wanted the, the discipline policies to, to be equitable, that to be applied to everybody because they had a different set of rules. I'm happy to say that all the demands that they put on the table, we were able to bring to, uh, to, to them and to fruition they did not get the superintendent, but they got the assistant superintendent uh, there in that school district. Another uh, case that comes to my mind that I did in Arkansas, because you know, in Arkansas sometimes in the past, not only do they not respect the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, or the Civil Rights Act, they're still fighting the Magna Carta, if you know what I mean. And uh, so these are the kinds of things that you go along and, 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 and help people uh, improve themselves. One issue that I had was a bank there, uh, Commercial Bank of Arkansas, I think, is the name of it. And so they had problems because uh, African-Americans could not uh, get into any of the jobs there or open mobility, even though they were like 40% of the customer base. So I got together with all of the different uh, African-American organizations there, was able to sit down at the table and negotiate, and they had never had a board member on that bank. And all of a sudden, within a week to 10 days, they're able to find two people to sit on the board. These are the kinds of changes that that you make so that kids can aspire to be bankers someday or astronauts or what have you. You have to open those doors for them and you have to have the base of a good education in the school system, the public schools. One of the things that I really have enjoyed over the years in working with many colleagues, including my colleague that's on the program today, is how a teacher can touch these children and make them into way beyond what their, ex their own expectation is because you know, they create those leaders, those teachers and administrators, and those that sometimes play the role of mom and dad to some children that may not have them, like myself. So I just want you to know that along the way, I remember a year when I was here, I was part of a group called the Dallas Alliance, whose responsibility was to come up with a concept on how to desegregate the public schools. I was one of 21 members, and because of my background, not only in law enforcement, but also working for the Office for Civil Rights Department of Education, I was able to, I guess, uh, help guide the group in a way that ultimately the, the ideas we fashioned were accepted by uh, the federal court here to desegregate uh, the public schools of Dallas. Uh, unfortunately, most of the white parents took their kids out of school. I remember distinctly what the makeup of the, of the populations at the time, particularly for administra administrators, and that number was 44, 44, 12. 44 Anglo, 44 African American, and 12% Hispanic. I would have never known that in those 30 years that our student enrollment in, for Hispanics would go to 72% in the DISD out of 152,000 people. And of course, the majority of our children in the Dallas Public Schools are under the poverty guidelines, so we have to even help them. One thing that is being uh, worked at, like this woman, is everything is being taught by remote learning, uh, and you have to be 
getting your classes and your, all the homework online. Unfortunately, 40% uh, of the families in the DISD are not connected to the net because they can't afford it. They might have a phone, but they basically don't have a computer and are not connected to the net. The children are having to go like to McDonald's or they're having to go to wherever there's a hotspot. So maybe the libraries if they're open to try and, and be able to, to get their communications you know, online and so they can, they can then do their lesson plans. So that is a big issue in the state of Texas that I think we need to stay on and hopefully we'll be able to create that, uh, that uh, uh, technology infrastructure that is necessary because as was mentioned earlier by my colleague, you have to be pointing those kids to make sure that they're prepared when they go out to the workforce. We have some beautiful programs uh, that now in the Dallas Community College District and also the, the, the school system have come up with a dual credit where kids are going to college at the same time they're getting their high school diploma and they're going to be certified. They're going to get an AA in applied sciences, what have you. I think the other part of that is technology. I know we're really keying in on, on, on STEM and I think those are all things that are going to arm our kids. Why not produce the workers here? Why should we have it to import workers from other parts of the world, particularly from India and China and others? When our children are here, we can train them to be that capable, productive workforce uh, that, that our country needs. And I'm going to stop here because I can keep on going forever. Welcome to the Impact of Educational Leadership Podcast with ID3 for Isaiah Drone III. This show was designed to provide an exclusive forum on educational achievement gaps related to learner success while discovering relationships and family issues in a diverse setting. 